0: This is the Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now, here is Pastor Jim. Well, welcome, everybody. We're back, and um, I've taken a break from the verse by verse. I've been doing a topical study, and today is the, I'll finish this part of the topical study of this particular uh, topic. But I just want to share with you, since today is the night before Thanksgiving, hey, have a happy Thanksgiving tomorrow. Um, eat up and enjoy uh, whoever you hang out with, friends, family, whoever they are. Just just really enjoy yourself. It's a great day. And remember to be thankful. Because, see, one of the biggest problems, I think, in people is a loss of thanksgiving. They don't have any thanksgiving. And people, they're thankful for what they have, but they have no one to be thankful for if they don't thankful to if they don't know God. We as Christians have someone to be thankful to for all that we have, have in our life. So you know who to be thankful to. Be like the one leper who turns back after he is cleansed, and he gives thanks to God. Be that person, and never forget all good things come from God from above. So today, um, we're going to talk about how to fight fair, and this is the last one. This is the fourth one. <clears throat> Someone once said that um, the greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes. Human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes. You know what? They're right. I remember one preacher said when I first got saved, uh, I read it in a book or heard it that, you know, life is 10% what happens to you and it's 90% how you respond to it, your attitude toward it. And it's true. Now, we're talking about how to fight fair here, so attitude is very important, very important. So the real question I want to ask you today is, when you're in a fight, in a heated debate, or whatever it is, and particularly in the relationship with the people you love, what kind of spirit flows out of you? What kind of spirit flows out of you? You see, this whole idea of attitude, it's the main reason why marriages end up in divorce, because in your attitude, we constantly experience negative or we cultivate negative thoughts toward our mate. See, that negative thinking, we start to nitpick things about them. We nitpick our spouse and trying to lead them towards perfection. When we ourselves, we're not perfect. Why don't we nitpick ourselves? See, people divorce because they have a bad attitude toward their mate. And you don't want to do that. So in, in other words, to cultivate the healthy relationships, wanna learn how to keep a good attitude. How do you keep a good attitude so your relationship goes long-term in a world, in a culture that loves to nitpick, loves to cancel, and loves to point out the imperfections in others, the specs, all the while not dealing with the logs in their own eye. And that's rampant in our society today. I would even say it's rampant in Christians too. So how do we get a good attitude so we're not canceling and ending relationships. Well, the first thing, I'm going to give you four things. Number one, check your own attitude. Now, I'm going to read from something about, that Paul writes about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, but check your own attitude. It says this, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow, that's, that's a life changer. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Whoa. You know, the word attitude is to have an opinion of self, have this opinion of yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. But here's what he's saying. He said, look at the attitude of Jesus, and then look at your own attitude and life, and see if they're meshing, see if you're moving towards the Jesus attitude. Now, one of the best ways, or I should say maybe the, the best way to grow a good attitude, check our attitude, is compare it to Jesus. What's his attitude like? Okay, someone's going to ask, okay, Jim, <clears throat> how can I tell if I have a bad attitude? You really want to know? <laughs> I'll tell you how. Ask the people around you, the ones you live with, the people you work with. You're the people, on um, if you play on a sports team, ask the people around you. Say, I want you to be brutally honest with me. What's my attitude like? Do I have a good attitude? Do I have a bad attitude? <laughs> if you, and, and tell them, and I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to blow up. I, I just really want to know. They'll tell you. They'll be glad to tell you. And then tell them to list the problems <laughs> if you've got a lot of guts. Now, I would also say, monitor Monitor what comes what words proceed out of your mouth throughout the day, throughout the week. listen to what regularly comes out of you. You start doing that and start you know what other people let them give input, and then listen to the words that come out of your mouth. you start to see what kind of attitude you have and speaking of words, I, I read this story years ago, but a woman 's husband you know he had been slipping in and out of a coma for months and months and She had been by his bedside in the hospital every day, every day. And then one day, he wakes up. I mean, he's awake now, finally. And he motions to her, and he's weak, come closer, because he, he doesn't have his full strength to speak fully. And he whispers to her these words. He says, you've been with me through all the bad times. When I got fired. When my business failed. When we lost the house. When my health failed, through all this, you've been by my side. You know what, honey? And she leans in, and her heart is so warm and so filled. And she says, what, dear? What? He looks at her and he says, I think you're bad luck. (laughs) That's a bad attitude. (laughs) That's a real bad attitude, okay? See, some of us come home with bad attitudes. Some of us walk through the door with bad attitudes. Let me tell you something that I had to do to break that about 30 years ago. I started to realize I'd come through the door with not the best of attitudes. I decided I was gonna sit in my car when I pulled into the driveway and just sit there and, and just let myself calm down and not have an attitude toward whatever happened to me that day at work, wherever. And it worked for me. I, I started to come in the house different because I was checking my attitude out there in the driveway and, and, and letting go of stuff. Someone once said this, home is the place I go to when I'm tired of being nice to people. And that's not right. That shouldn't be, that should not be what home is about. The place I go to when I'm tired of being nice to people. That's why fights start. That's how gridlock happens in our relationships. We're already in a bad mood. We walk around in a bad mood. Cynical or critical or irritated or impatient. Gotta check our attitude. Now. Let's continue to look at this idea of, of, of keeping a good attitude. We're in the middle of a strong debate or a fight verbally, whatever you want to call it. The second thing we needed to is, do is take the off-ramp. You got to take the off-ramp. Now, let me show you something. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Paul, the writer, um, he says this. Says no temptation has take, has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. So this is common, he says. And God is faithful, and He's always faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you and me will be able to endure it. Mm, That's great. So God says, I'm gonna give you an off-ramp when you're tempted. Well, when we're in the middle of a verbal battle, exchange, whatever, we are tempted to act out certain ways. But God says, in the midst of those pulls and struggles, I'm gonna give you an off-ramp. now. This is in the context of Paul writing about all the temptations that the Israelites were tempted with as they traveled through the desert out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. And they fell to temptation after temptation, many of them did. But Paul says, look, God gives you a way of escape. God gives you a way out. And the word uh, escape there is the idea of a mountain pass suddenly opening up, and boom, there's your way of escape. It's a way out. Now, the question is, okay, that's cool, Jim, but how does that work when I'm in a fight with my spouse or somebody? Or with the person at work? Well, let me give you some application that might work for you. I think it will. Most of the time in a fight, one person, not all the time, but most of the time, one person of the two will admit that I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. I'm wrong on this one. But you who now who are right and they've admitted they're wrong, what do you do when they admit that they're wrong? And by the way, you who are right in that moment, you can't always be right and they can't always be wrong. So get that idea. When that happens, you're a very insecure person. You can never admit you're wrong. And that's deep insecurity and that does not grow you. That's an immature place to live. Mature people can admit when they're wrong. They don't have the insecurity in that. They go, okay, I was wrong. Now, what do you do when they admit they're wrong? You need to take the off, ramp. What do you mean, Jim? Let it go now. Just let it go. See the problem is some people when the other person admits the wrong, they don't take the off ramp. They don't take the way of escape. Man, they go in for the kill. And now they're really gonna pound away on that person. I have them down, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna beat down on them. That's a bad move. That's a bad move. You know, take a cue from Mr. Gladiator, Russell Crowe in the movie Gladiator, when he's got that big giant come out of retirement gladiator down and everybody's yelling, kill. Remember the guy, kill, kill. And and Russell Crowe has that that weapon over him and the guy knows he's going to die and Commodus puts his thumb down to kill him and he's about to swing and then he just throws down the weapon and he doesn't kill the guy who's down. And he walks out in defiance of the emperor and somebody in the audience yells, Maximus! Maximus the merciful. I love that. I love that. Because Maximus had the guy down. But he chooses mercy. Mercy. Not getting what you deserve. He probably deserved it. He tried to kill Maximus. But Maximus says, no, I'm not going to do that. Why don't we practice that in relationships? Let me tell you the truth. There's really something wrong with the heart of a person. Who after they've won the verbal battle, the fight, they go in for the kill. They just go in for the kill. Have you ever thought that if you're like that, that you have to go in for the kill and you got to let them have it after they've admitted? Have you ever thought that maybe you've never really fully come to the understanding and accepted God's forgiveness and grace and mercy to you? Oh, Jim, that's a bold statement. It's the question of what's filling your heart. If God lives in you, if you're born again, and you have the DNA of God in you, you've been regenerated by the Spirit of God, forgiveness, grace, and mercy should be growing in your heart. And when something happens and you get tipped, my cup burneth over, that should flow out of you. Shouldn't it? See, it's really the question of what what baggage from the past are you still carrying? It's the question of who from the past are you still trying to hurt? Because it's not the person in the present. They're just the latest person that you want to take it out on. You've heard me say this illustration many times. What face from the past are you putting on the person in the present and you're paying them back, and you're hurting them because you really are trying to pay back the person from the past. No, 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 don't do that. Forgive, let go, grow up, and take the off-ramp. Have you ever thought of it that way? That this is not even the person you're angry at. They are, and you shouldn't live in anger. What good is that? You're gonna pass it on to your kids. You're gonna pass it on to the next generation. You need to be a cycle breaker. You forgive, you give mercy, you give grace because that's what should be filling your heart now as a born-again believer, regenerated with the DNA of God. Now, the third thing is this. When you're wrong, admit it. Just admit it. Because remember, as I said earlier, you're not always right. The best way, the best way to stop a fight is, admit you're wrong. Now, I told you this, I don't know if it's months ago, but it's a biblical principle stated by the half-brother of Jesus, but the idea is this. The best way to stop a fight is just to do one thing. Admit one thing. Admit that the source of the fight that you're in, tell the other person, is that I want my way. We're fighting because I want my way. Well, Jim, how, how can you come to that conclusion? Well, let's look at James in the New Testament. This is the half-brother of Jesus. And, <clears throat> and uh, he writes this: What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you?" He says, "Do you know what the root cause of your fighting is?" And he could tell you, he says, "Is not the source your pleasures?" that wage war in your members, isn't the source your desire, your own personal desires? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, but you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your Pleasures. Whoa. James, the half-brother of Jesus, has just given you a mouthful of truth. He's telling you and I the reason why the fights never resolve. And by the way, when fights don't resolve and you just pretend it away and then the next fight happens, you pretend it away and the next fight, you start building up all this Irritation towards each other until finally these little things become mountains and they explode one day. But here's what James is telling you the source of our quarrels and conflicts is I'm selfish. I want what I want. Let me give you a little secret. When you came to Christ, You died that day. You took up your cross and you die daily to yourself. You surrendered all your rights to Jesus Christ. That's what you did. That's what you did. So selfishness, instead of increasing in our life, should be decreasing. And thus, we should be taking on the attitude of Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God to be grasped. In other words, he knew he was God, but he didn't walk around like he was that, like he's the all authority over everybody's life. He didn't walk around like that. We take on his attitude. And one of the things we've got to look at in our personal lives as fallen humans, regenerating the spirit of God, how selfish are we? These authors, um, if you read their books years ago, Uh, Les and Leslie Perot. They say, and and I'm going to finish up here pretty quick. They say marriages thrive and grow in love because of these four elements. Here's four things they say, and they're very profound, and they're very simple. Here's how a marriage thrives and grows. And if you're dating, you need to look for these things in the other person because if they don't have this, you're in for a world of hurt down the road. Now, the first thing they said is they work at open communication even if they're tired and angry. Even in that, in other words, they don't go with their emotions, they go with what's right. That's a big deal in a grown-up. See, children go with their emotions. That's why you see so many people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, in our world, on the news, everywhere. You know, they're they're intellectually that age, but they're about 10 emotionally. You're watching it everywhere. People, they're not growing up emotionally. The second thing they said is, They reaffirm their commitment through words and actions. In other words, they keep doing the right things, saying the right things. They reaffirm how they feel toward that person, what they think, they say all the good stuff, they do the right things. The third thing is they put themselves in their mate's place to understand the struggles their mate faces. Ah, that's called empathy. You walk in the other person's moccasins. That's right. Didn't Jesus do that? Didn't he come and take on a human body? That must have felt awkward. And yet it says he was tempted in all ways as you and I, yet without sin. He knew exactly what it felt like to be us because he walked in our shoes. He sought to understand. We need to do that in our relationships. And fourth, they freely admit their mistakes and actively ask for and grant forgiveness. We ask forgiveness, we grant forgiveness. Admit mistakes. But let me reaffirm, insecure people cannot admit mistakes or when they're wrong. They're just too insecure. They're too insecure. Grow up. Start letting the Bible wash your mind clean. Start forgiving whoever in the past that you keep putting that face on in the present. Start doing that. Your attitude will start to change. And guess what? It won't always feel like it's all personal. You're taking everything personal. Now, let me finish off with point four, and that's this. When the fight's over, clean up the mess. Just clean it up. What do you mean, Jim? Well, after it's over, you want to put back into place listening, tenderness, forgiveness, kindness, love, joy, peace, etc., like this. There's four relationship styles that you get to choose from, and you could choose from. The first one is retaliation, moving against the other person. The next one is domination, moving over the other person. The next one is isolation, moving away from the other person. And the fourth one is cooperation, moving with the other person. See, the goal of a fight After a fight is cooperation. We're moving with each other in the same direction. Things are resolved. Forgiveness in place. Good attitude is still there. Everything. And you watch how that helps your relationships. Well, I'm done. I hope that helped you for today. You can share this. I would hope so. Share with people who might need to hear something like this. Hey, but God bless you once again. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at NBCC.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.